welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and I'm glad you're with me today, and I'm glad that you care about discipleship. Before I tell you what the episode is about, I want to make sure you know that tomorrow, November 4th, is the big kickoff of our National Disciple Making Forum. It's happening Thursday and Friday. It's going to be an awesome time. If you want to come, this is your last chance to use this promo. You can go to discipleship.org to purchase your tickets and use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, to get 50% off that ticket price. So make sure you take advantage of that. You've only got a few hours left to do it. Today's episode, we have Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse, Bev Garcia, and Frank McCarthy talking to us about one pastor's journey toward becoming a disciple-making church. If you're somebody who's been making disciples, you know how hard that is by itself. It's even harder to turn your church's direction away from being a programs-based church to being a church that's focused on making disciples. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. They talk about a lot of the ups and downs that are associated with a change like that. So let's jump in and let's hear what Greg, Ralph, Bev, and Frank have to say to us today. Hi, I'm Ralph Rittenhouse, president of Global Discipleship Initiative, and we're going to share with you a little story today about what happened in discipleship uh, in Camarillo, California. Uh, But I'm going to start with prayer, because that whole thing started with prayer, and so I thought that'd be a way to start today. So bow your heads with me for a moment of prayer, would you? Father, thank you for the privilege of being representatives of your son and the good news on planet Earth. Thank you for the privilege of making disciples who make disciples. And Father, we want to talk today to those who are listening about what we saw you do uh, among us and uh, in us in this time in Camarillo. Father, thank you for those who are watching today. Thank you for those who are participating. We ask your blessing on us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I moved to Camarillo, California in 1983 after 14 years on Campus Crusade staff, now called CREW. Uh, I spent 14 years on staff and I learned a lot about evangelism. And when I moved to Camarillo, California to assume the pastoral role in a small congregation, a handful of people there that were meeting in a rented facility, uh, we started doing evangelism. Uh, we started reaching out. We knew that uh, if we could get people to hear the gospel of Christ, they, many would respond. And so we began to invite them into our services and find them in the community or whatever. And we uh, saw many coming to Christ. And uh, within a, within two years, we were in a rented facility at that time. But in two years, we had built our own facility, built an auditorium that would seat comfortably, a little over 200, and had a nursery facility, some, some Sunday school classes and a few offices. And we met there. And the second Sunday we were in that building, we actually had to go to two services to accommodate the people who were now attending. And well, within a short time later, we added the third service. And finally, we added a fourth service and we're kind of running ourselves ragged and went into another building program and built a, uh, a large auditorium, thousand seat auditorium with more nursery space and classrooms and another suite of offices. And we turned our original building over to our youth ministries and a Vietnamese congregation that had begun become a part of us at that time. And, uh, and we continued on and we were about in my 25th year as a senior pastor in Camarillo, when we began to recognize that something wasn't quite right. Uh, we had, we had gone up to about a thousand people at one time and we were kind of hit a wall and going backwards now and, and losing people. And we weren't quite sure why. And, but we, we thought it had something to do with discipleship, but we weren't sure until we did a, an analysis. We did an in-house survey. Um, we, it was called Retool. Some of you may be familiar with that. Uh, Willow Creek and South Barrington had done a similar kind of thing with their uh, internal analysis. And they we found out the same thing about ourselves as they found out about themselves is that you know, the church in America was about 2,000 miles wide and one inch deep. Uh, we weren't helping people become real disciples of Jesus Christ. And um, we were helping them mature in that. And I have described ourselves uh, several times now as being a giant nursery at that time. We had a lot of new believers, a lot of people in our congregation, but they weren't really growing like they knew they should and like we knew they should. And this survey sort of confirmed that for us. And 
Um, we knew what was wrong, but we weren't quite sure what to do about it. And I remember Bev, we had invited um, uh, a representative of InterVarsity to come in, and he showed us that uh, there are various levels of discipleship in a church, and there's the larger level when everybody's together, and then there are ministry levels where people get involved, and then there's small groups. But the level that wasn't represented in our venue was this micro group idea or the smaller group, intimate group where real transformation can take place. We went to seminars, we prayed, we read books. And finally, I was on an airplane reading an article by John Ortberg, Leadership Journal, uh, leading an article in there about disciple making. And he mentioned Greg Ogden. Now, the name was familiar to me, but um, I really hadn't read any of his, his material. So I Googled Greg when I got off the airplane and found his book, Transforming Discipleship, ordered a copy of it and started reading. And I remember reading the book and realizing, okay, some of this sounds really familiar and sounds good. It's resonating with me. Uh, I'm going to order some more copies. I ordered three more copies, and I, I gave a copy to Bev Garcia, who is my personal administrative assistant at that time, who's on with us today. And I gave a copy to Jim Moyer. Jim, raise your hand there so we'll know you. Jim was our uh, small group pastor, and he read it. And also our evangelism pastor, Daryl Lundberg, uh, read it. And then the four of us came together and we decided we're going to try an experiment. We call it an experiment because Rick Warren says, if you call it an experiment, if it doesn't work, nobody really is bothered by it. So we called it an experiment and I was going to start a group. Jim would start a group. Bev would start a group and Derek would start a group. And we just see how it worked. And if it worked like the book said it would, then we'd see where to go from there. So we started our groups and and I was I was fascinated with my group. I had four guys. Uh, I had an, I had Joel Morris, who's sitting here with us today. Joel, raise your hand. You're you're there. Joel was an elder uh, in our church at that time. Um, I had uh, uh, also uh, I invited Frank McCarthy, who's on our team here today. Uh, Frank was a is a um, a builder, uh, a general contractor in our area. And we had a we had a dentist who was a part of our elder board as well, who was a part of it. So the four of us formed our first quad, and we call these micro groups because it can be three or four or even five. But uh, we found that the the best number seems to be four, so we kind of try to stick to that as much as we can. And we formed our quad. We started going through the material. And I don't know, um, I'll let the other guys speak for themselves, but I saw my life changing. I saw things happening in me that that needed to be happening. And um, and before long, we were, as Bev and Jim and Daryl and I were meeting together as the leaders of the group and discussing what we were seeing happen, uh, I think all of us were beginning to recognize this This was something good that was going on and um, and. We were excited about the results it was that were taking place in people's lives. I, I heard comments like, "This is the highlight of my week." <laughs> you know, I thought Sunday morning when I was preaching would be the highlight. Well, no, it's when they come together in the quad that they were finding this is a spiritual highlight, but just a highlight of their week. And um, people were doing their homework. Um, we were trying to follow the instructions that Greg gives us in uh, transforming discipleship. He says, "Go slow." Uh, this is not a. This is not uh, fast food stuff. This is this is going to take a while for God to do the transformation that He needs to do into people's lives because we're not talking about information. We're talking about real life, authentic transformation that we want to see happening. And uh, we used the the workbook that Greg produced. It's called uh, Discipleship Essentials. It's twenty five lessons that takes about a year to go through. Um, it, you go through that. It's it, I, I like to characterize it as Bible College 101. Um, it, it's just the basics of Christianity that every Christian should know. But when we uh, <clears throat> when we surveyed people in our congregation, we found that a lot of people had been coming to church a long time and still didn't know these things. At least they could not articulate them well, and certainly couldn't pass them on to anyone else. And, and that was in, our intention is that they would become disciplers because this is this is about making disciple makers. It's not making just making disciples. When we use the word discipleship, uh, we're often talking about something for us to make us more Christ-like. Uh, when we talk about disciple making, 
I'm talking about somebody else now. I'm talking about me investing in somebody else's life. And I think that's what Jesus had in mind when he trained his disciples. And I think that's what he has in mind for us as his disciples. Uh, if we're going to be a fully obedient disciple, we need to obey his last command, which everybody can quote. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, <clears throat> and I had known that verse for a long time. And I, I just, I just wasn't doing it in the way that Jesus seems to uh, model for us in the New Testament. I thought discipleship, I guess, was going to happen from my preaching on Sunday morning. But the best preacher in the world uh, did not depend on preaching to make disciples. He spent, invested uh, an enormous amount of time with 12 guys and uh, some estimate 90 percent of his time. Well, as we began to do this, uh, we began to see some. I think some significant results. And I, I want to let you hear from some of the others who are on the screen with me today, because I want them to share their story a little bit. Uh, first, I want to ask Bev. Bev, you were there from the beginning. You were uh, my administrative assistant. We were working on these things together, wrestling with these issues together. Uh, what did you think as we began and how did it go for you? I think after I saw the transforming discipleship, it alerted me to what was missing. Of course, I was in on that retool that we started actually in um, 2007. I remember volunteering to be your executive assistant, and you said, well, the first thing we need to do is retool. And it was by um, April of 2010 that we actually started looking for something um, we did a couple of things, like you said, we invited uh, Sam Hershey from the Navigators to come in January. He's the one that identified, yes, a lot of you are doing quiet time because quiet time was something you emphasized for all of us to do, individually having that connection with God. But the micro group was missing and so we looked at various things and it was in May of 2010 after we all met in April to identify discipleship would be one of the uh, three major issues to focus on for the church to um, plateau and start going up again instead of going down in the retool and that bell curve stopping the downward um, flow. So um, what happened was in May, I think you must have given us all a Discipleship Essentials workbook. And the first page in there is from the author. And I clearly remember walking right into the office and Jim was there. And I said, this is dynamite. And it made a, a big impression on me. Part of it had to do with uh, Bonhoeffer and, and also uh, Dallas Willard when when Dallas Willard said, it's barcode Christianity, it's just like, okay, a big scanner in the sky. Yeah, I'm a believer. You're in. You got my ticket. And he said with um, Bonhoeffer, you know, there's a difference, we all thought, between being a Christian and a disciple. But what Greg brought out was those are synonymous terms. And I thought, wow, that really has to be communicated, that there is not just an assent to say, I'm a Christian or have these surveys, 90% of the U.S. is a Christian. Uh, no, it's not true. I mean, there has to be that connection with the actions as in James. So it got my attention. I asked two other women to join me who were both really prayer warriors um, they were excited about it, and it was a very hard year. It was six months of one problem disaster in my own life, relationally, um, that year. And then they each multiplied into other groups, and it just mushroomed from there. And we'd meet in your office and start a spreadsheet. I started a spreadsheet, kind of keeping track of who's got who in what group and and like you say, it, it just started um, like a big fire, like the embers just uh, growing and growing. And people who had just gone to church, sat in a pew week by week and felt like, 
They were kind of out of the loop. They were getting older. It brought them back to life. It ignited a fire in the older people because you were handing off your faith. You weren't just, quote, being a disciple and concerned about your own Christian life. It caused me to be more accountable, caused me to renew my interest in memorizing verses and applying and then studying and then having that uh, energizing session with two other women on a weekly basis is it was just um, amazing so thank you Ralph for that it was amazing for us all Frank you were in that first group with me Frank why don't you share a little bit of your story there how did that impact your life yeah I mean I, I was really ready for this I, I think what Bev said about transparency you know having an opportunity to to not just get fed there comes a point in time where I realized I need to do something with what I'm learning but it didn't seem like there was any, you know, vehicle to do that with. Uh, behind you there, the relational environment created that vehicle. Um, and to, to learn, to, to build into other people, a few other guys, learning about transparency, about intimacy, uh, and having a confidential uh, environment where we can be honest with each other and have a trust, trust factor built in allowed us all to, to be honest with each other, but also grow in our faith along the, the course, you know, uh, took us what a year, year and a half or so to go through the material. But it's like you said, every week, we, I, it was an exciting time in growth because we allowed the Holy spirit really to, to lead the group. And I think you allowed that to happen instead of just being a leader. And I think that's really important for pastors to understand that they're passing this on to people in their congregation to just facilitate something that the Holy Spirit will grab a hold of and, and lead if we allow that to happen. And uh, that, that's where the transformation took place. And I'm now in my seventh group. Uh, just started another one yesterday with some great guys. So this is going to go till I die is what I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned a great point there, Frank, that, that everybody is involved in this thing. Greg likes to say that the, there is no leader in the group. The Holy Spirit is the teacher, and, and whoever facilitates, whoever puts the group together facilitates it, but they're not the teacher. Everybody comes having gone uh, into their own quieter study or wherever with, their, with the Word of God and with the, with the workbook, and the Holy Spirit is teaching them. And then when they come to the group, everybody has something to offer. Everybody is bringing things that they've learned, and they're excited to be able to share them. Um, and they make the covenant at the very beginning that they will do that. They'll do the homework. They'll memorize the verse. They'll come prepared for the for the meeting. And when they do, uh, it's a it's an exciting time uh, to be there and hear guys sharing what God's been teaching them. And everybody's giving instruction to one another. We're all learning from each other. And of course, like you're saying, once that happens and you share the leadership around the group, um, they're fully prepared to start their own group. When, you, when the year's up and when the basic curriculum is, is completed. Uh, Jim, <clears throat> I want you to share a little bit because you, your group was a little bit different from most of ours in that you decided to take a longer length of time. You want me to explain why yours took about a year and a half when everybody else got through it a year? <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, so I was on staff. I was a pastor of uh, small groups. And for about eight years, I was leading small groups um, in the ministry there. Um, I love small groups and the, the relationships that develop, but I think the staff um, and I certainly saw that small groups has limits and, um, and we were experiencing some, um, uh, there was some growth, but it wasn't where we wanted people to go. And, and we talked about, uh, you know, Sam Hershey described this uh, micro group and we decided to give it a try. And so I invited my three guys, there's four of us um, at, from, from that challenge from Ralph. And uh, these, these other three guys um, literally uh, changed the way I looked at discipleship, changed the way I looked at the world. Um, and I'm uh, very grateful for these, uh, these uh, men that were in my life that allowed me to be open and honest, uh, transparent, as well as um, being able to, to uh, uh, feed uh, into their lives as well. And so 
Mine went longer because um, the individuals I had were that they love talking theology. And we, instead of taking two weeks to get through a chapter, we'd take four weeks to get through a chapter. And, uh, and, and we just, we, we talked about it was the best hour and a half um, of our week. We so enjoyed meeting together and uh, discussing what was going on, what God was doing, uh, challenging each other with um, different aspects of, of uh, practicing our faith. And um, that's that's why we went a little bit longer. Um, so. Which we appreciated because Jim, you were you were you were able to help us understand a very important yeah. point or critical component of these groups. What makes them effective? It's not about covering the material or getting through the booklet, the, the workbook. It's about allowing God to transform your life and teach you everything He needs to teach you. So you. The, the group goes at the pace of the slowest member, in a sense. You know, you, you want to wait for everybody to get it, which in Sunday morning, I can't do. You know, if you don't, if I make a point on Sunday morning and you don't get it, you don't get to raise your hand and say, wait, wait, Ralph, could you say that again? I'm not sure I understood it. It just flies on by you, and you may never understand that particular issue. Yeah, that was yeah, I mean, really important for me to, to learn, you know, coming out of seminary and getting hired and um, my understanding of discipleship was about information. You get more information to people, they're going to be a better disciple. And, and we were finding that that's not necessarily true. And, um, and that shift from uh, information is important, but the shift was to relational and, and being uh, transparent and, and seeing how we're living this faith out in front of someone who's praying for me, because they love me and they want to see me grow. Uh, that was that was huge for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm pastoring. I'm preaching on Sunday morning, and I go to the back door and I shake everybody's hands, and that's the that's the level of the relationship with ninety percent of my congregation. That is not discipleship. You can't make disciples, you know, shaking hands at the, in the in the lobby. Uh, it has to be some life on life stuff, and, and that happens in this kind of microgroup situation. Joel, you were you were involved in navigators while you were in service for a long time. So you had a you came from a navigator background, and you came into this, and you you got in my first group. And what what did you see? What what were you thinking all of this time? What was ha what was God doing in your heart? So you're right, Ralph. I had had the experience before coming to your church, moving to Camarillo. Uh, for about 10 years with uh, a man who uh, invited me to be part of a navigator group. And it was really, and he, he's been a terrific mentor, is still one of my best friends to, to today. Uh, but what I noticed when I came into your group is, is navigators at least started out very much one-on-one. -on -one. And there's very much, uh, there's a limitation there. You never quite move from the mentor being the teacher and you somehow are kind of always a student. And it wasn't a, a, a bad thing, but it left out the facilitator or leadership part of the ministry and discipling. And so when I got to your group, I said, uh, kind of a light came on and said, yeah, yeah. Uh, Perhaps this is how it's best uh, transferred to the to the next generation is a group of guys who uh, can share, as Jim said, uh, be transparent with one another, take responsibility for leadership in the group, and then catch that vision to go out to that next level or that next generation of making disciples. Yeah. So. Now you started a group and you, uh, after you were in my group, you went out and started a group. Where did you get your group members from? Yeah. So I just got out of the military. And in fact, I was still in the reserves. So I said, well, hey, uh, I know I can connect with military guys. And as you know, we have a base right near our church, a Navy base. And we have quite a few military people coming uh, coming to our church. So I grabbed three guys from the military. Um, that was a godsend. Uh, we all connected. Obviously, we're you know all pilots and flying airplanes and that kind of thing. So, uh, but the biggest benefit was that that I realized is 
they're going to go, <laughs> whether they want to or not, they're going to leave Camarillo. And here was an opportunity to speak into their lives. We had one man who uh, literally we saved his marriage, uh, primarily through the small group and the interaction uh, of the gentleman in the, in the small group. And then uh, they went out, two of them went to the East Coast, uh, and uh, we had the good fortune of having one who became a, uh, a uh, squadron commander. He not only had, he was a CO while he was here at Point Magoo, but then he was promoted to take over a squadron of 100 people in each squadron, and he continued his discipleship journey with them as God gave him opportunity in his squadrons and, and on his staff. So I just thought, wow, what a, what a wonderful opportunity to be a link in the chain of how God passes this vision of discipleship to others. Yeah, I remember when you showed me the email or talked to, read the email to me about him being at the Pentagon. <clears throat> he got transferred to the Pentagon and started a quad in the Pentagon. And then a couple of years later, he's on the USS Abraham Lincoln. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's got more quads going there. <clears throat> so we saw this thing multiply and Uncle Sam, the military, is sending them out <laughs> for us. and, and at, at their expense. Yes. Sending <laughs> these missionaries out making disciples. So it was, yeah. it, was, it was pretty cool. Well, we began to see some exciting things uh, start to transpire. I remember, and I want you to speak to this, Frank. We were sitting in uh, Panera Bread where our quad met, and in walks Debbie Marshall. Uh, and she's she's a missionary to Romania. She has a mission to kids and most of them orphan kids in Romania. And we've been helping her ministry. And she comes in to say thank you. And then you've chimed into the conversation. What was that? What happened there? Ex uh, reflect on that for a moment, Frank. Well, yeah, when Debbie walked into Panera and we were doing our uh, weekly meeting, I had the I had the idea that since she knew all these pastors in Romania, that we might want to expand this into Romania. And I think uh, I got out of my chair, walked her over to my wife's table where she had a quad going with three other women. Uh, and I said, it's this simple, Debbie. We, we get together, we have this you know, material, we go through it once a week over coffee or lunch. And, and you know, the Holy Spirit leads this and it's an incredible uh, transformational discipleship, you know, tool. And so I, I go, this is just, you know, two groups of many in our church. I think this would be great. And, and with all the connections you have in Romania, you got to take this there. And when I sat back down and told you guys at the table what I had just told her, we, had, we hadn't even really launched it into our church yet. But I just, I don't know why, maybe it's the Holy Spirit that, that gave me that insight to, to maybe going beyond our, our state, our country, and just going beyond here. Do you, suppose, do you suppose, Frank, that Jesus, when he said go into all the world, had something to do with that? I think he might have had something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> we had no intention. I remember when Bev and I and Jim and, and uh, Daryl were sitting in my office talking about starting four groups. We had no idea that this was going to take us into a worldwide impact kind of thing. Um, Bev, pick up on that because you, uh, I came back to the office and I said, we got to figure out how to translate this into Romanian. And you picked up on that. What happened next? Well, you asked me and you gave me the contacts. You've got amazing connections with all kinds of people. And I contacted the person who was uh, referred to me. Maybe it was through Greg anyway. He was in Timisoara and uh, it was already translated. So we <laughs> already had discipleship essentials in seven different languages at that time. Now we have 23 different languages. We're going all over the world. And it's just amazing to see how um, one idea from the Holy Spirit who's energizing us and we're seeing how God is connecting people will then spread and mushroom. Uh, so, yes, we were in Romania two different times, 2014, 2016. And from there, you had an idea on the airplane, I think, with Joel sitting beside you. Uh, you can tell us about that. Ralph. Well, we, we, we came back from Romania because we, we saw it take we saw it take root in Romania. We, they invited us to come over and train uh, pastors over there. We did. Uh, on the way home, we're thinking, okay, what do we do next? And the idea of a global 
Discipleship Summit came up. Mm-hmm. We thought, okay, our church is sort of international. Uh, we've got lots of people from lots of different countries or Southern California. I, I remember we had, Jim, you remember when we did the Great Commission Sunday and had 21 different languages reading scripture for, in their own language from our stage. <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing, and I think we all sang Amazing Grace in our own native tongue, <laughs> which only God could have interpreted. <laughs> but but we, we were a international church so we invited our people we challenged our people if you know someone a pastor or a missionary in your home country who might be interested in this discipleship because by this time uh this had begun to permeate the entire church i mean uh it it just multiplied after two or three years it was you can run the numbers and you see how quickly uh, this thing goes and um though it doesn't look like it's going quick it really is and um and so we invited our people to Give us the names. And Joel, you and Jim uh, took those names. You sent letters out to these missionaries and pastors all over the world of the ones that we we had gotten contact with. And you invited them to come. What what happened, Jim? How did you guys pull this off? So we we did take names. Uh, We didn't advertise. Uh, We didn't put a, you know, publication or anything. It was just through word of mouth and talk to our international contacts uh, in our church and we came up with 84 people that we uh, invited to come to a summit in August of 2015 I believe and and, uh, of those 84 56 could get visas and traveled and they traveled to Camarillo and we put them up in uh, our members homes and and kept them for 10 days and spent um, five days uh, not just sitting in a lecture, uh, but also going to some of our groups in our um, uh, in our church. And so these 56 people got to really experience uh, not just the, the information of what Dr. Greg was talking, but also being sitting in a, a group and, and seeing that. And um, I, it just it was amazing to, to see. Uh, the people um, as they came and 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 go oh yes I, I I see this now and it was it was just really an amazing experience it was and 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 like I say we had no intention we had no idea God was going to do that but as this thing began to mushroom in our own church you know in a couple of years we began we began to realize we you know, we had a tiger by the tail. We need to somehow, you know, manage this thing. And as Bev said, she started trying to keep track of all the people that were in groups and starting the new groups starting all the time. And and then they started jumping from church to church. We had somebody came in. I don't remember who this was. Someday I guess I'll track it down. But somebody came to me and said, hey, I've got a guy at work who wants to be in my next group, but he doesn't go to our church. Is that okay? And I thought about it for a moment and said, well, sure, sure, it's okay. Yeah, invite him. What church does he go to? Well, he goes to the Lutheran church across town, Good Shepherd Lutheran. Well, okay, they're good folks. Invite him in. Then I get a call from the pastor of the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, (laughs) Jim Johnson, a couple of weeks later. He says, hey, I understand you want to have one of my key laymen in one of your groups. I said, "Uh, yeah, I think we may. He said, would you come over to our church and teach us how to do those kinds of groups? Wow, uh, I, we we took we took some of our people. We went to Jim's church. We taught them how to do the discipleship, and it just continued to to expand like this. It it quickly jumped across denominational barriers, uh, geographic barriers. It, it uh, we had seven different churches in Camry at one time that were using this curriculum and and doing this. Um, it jumped over to Romania, and then uh, and and continued to expand beyond that. When we had the leadership, the the, the the global summit. Uh, we brought, brought leaders in from countries all over the place, and wow, uh, it just opened all kinds of doors for us, and we began to see uh, things happen. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. 
The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple-makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I want to go back quickly, if I can, before we get too far down that road and just and touch on some of the specific criteria for effectiveness of these groups. And I want you to speak to this. Some of you, somebody speak to it. First, the gender specificity. We gender specific. Why gender specific? Joel, you want to hit that one? Well, yeah, I I hope the answer is obvious is (laughs) we can certainly be uh, more transparent. Uh, Men understand the issues that that men deal with, women, the issues that they deal with. And uh, and oftentimes it's even more appropriate to be in gender specific. And I think you'll find that the group, because we've done it both ways. I've known groups that have mixed and, uh, but there's a limit on the depth that you can go. Yes. Without being gender specific. So it's just for us, it's worked out uh, just very well. And I I mean, Jesus's group was gender specific. I suppose it's okay to model that. So, well, and, and, you know, everybody, for obvious reasons, like you said, there's things you can't talk about in mixed company that you need to talk about. Transformation is going to take place in the heart. You've got to be able to deal with those kinds of issues and you need to be able to do that openly, transparently. And you can't do it in a gender uh, mixed group. Um, Certainly that's, that's a primary reason. But there's some other reasons as well. I think that it helps. It doesn't necessarily limit it, but it helps. You know, men uh, men get together at work. They can, they you know, they their their work schedules may are, are sometimes similar, and so that allows them to be able to get together. Uh, I have a lot of my groups that that meet before work in the morning. Well, moms are usually with the kids there, and maybe that's not a good thing for dad to be out of the home that, that time, but sometimes he can take a day of the week and do that, and uh, and he can be available. <clears throat> so there are numbers of reasons why the gender specificity is um, uh, important, but let me ask uh, Frank, you just started a group. How do you decide who you want to have in your group? How do you go about dis- determining the makeup of your group? Well, after doing, this is, I think, my seventh group, um, I've realized that, uh, and Transforming Discipleship uh, by Greg Ogden recommended it to get people that are a little further down the road in their faith. So, number one, I get people, like, I have three men, one's a cop, one's uh, a coach, and runs a a, a nonprofit here in Camarillo, and another guy's uh, ex-Marine, a young guy who's, uh, you know, he's been through a lot. Uh, he's dealt with a lot uh, in, in the Middle East, but strong faith, all three of them. Uh, so I figured it'd be a good chance to, to be get, get going right away with them. They understand discipleship. They understand the Great Commission. Uh, they're hungry. When I met with them individually uh, to introduce them to, to the possibility of doing a discipleship uh, group like this, they got excited, all three of them. Uh, you know, just oh. over coffee. I, I got it, gave them about a month and I scheduled meetings with them, you know, each one-on-one and so that they understood the, the curriculum and, and understood the commitment and also just to see what they thought of it. And they're, all three of them are very excited about it. So you, you go to them individually when you ask them, uh, you sit down and explain the curriculum and where you're going, what this is all about. So they understand fully uh, what, they're, what they're signing up for, what they're getting into. Great. Great. Um, Bev, what have you found out as far as times to meet? Uh, That's a typical question. When do you meet? Before I go into that, and I'll tell you my uh, note card strategy for women, especially. 
Um, I just want to uh, reinforce what everybody has said and uh, give you a timeline since I was um, in on this from the beginning. In 2010, it was May when I started my first group and then we asked Greg Ogden to come in June. Uh, Daryl started his group in July and because of all the buzz then and all the responsibilities that you had too, um, Ralph, about getting ready for Christmas and doing a sermon every week. Then you started a group in October. <clears throat> you saw it was so good. You started one group, two groups, three groups. I mean, your priorities for sure changed. They sure did. So by uh, 2011, I think we maybe had 25 people involved. I mean, it, it wasn't like, it's not a thing that you announced from the stage. That's one of the Correct. issues that Correct. I wanted to make sure that we understand that this is very slow. So by 2011, it started again, uh, continuing by 2012, we had maybe a hundred people involved out of the, well, 700, I think that were in the church. But then by uh, 2013, that's when you or somebody got the idea after Debbie came back because she was doing a fundraiser for the Romanian orphanage that we thought, um, Debbie, do you know some pastors there then um, that we could actually talk with and invite? And so we asked pastors to come over and within two months, they came in the summer of 2013. You probably remember that. And the reason I reached for my Bible was, um, I think it's in Ephesians 4, where Greg Ogden, in one of the sessions, because they were there for maybe uh, a week, he mentioned that um, pastors are there to equip. You're, you're not necessarily to just be the one who goes to the hospital to visit everybody. You are not the one that everybody comes to for advice that and it was as though we had dropped a bomb in the room. <laughs> uh, do you want to just talk about that a little bit first, Ralph, before I well, go I, into my you know, strategy? And, and, and it happens in our country, but it certainly happens in some of the other countries that we've been to even more, where the pastor is the kingpin. He's doing mm -hmm. everything. He has all the responsibility. Everybody else comes and listens on Sunday and goes home, but he's mm -hmm. responsible for everything. And when they began to understand uh, that they were going to be passing off the ministry. And I remember when Jean, Jane Bacon, you know, 80-something, 90, I don't know how old she was, but stands she up. She was in her says, 90s. Yeah. yeah, if I can do it, you can do it. And she yeah. and she was leading a group, and she, uh, and she was making disciples. And mm -hmm. these guys began to realize, I'm passing the ministry on to the people in my congregation. They can do this. I'm not the only one. They can do this. They can start making disciples. Yeah, it was, it was, boy, what a, what a, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a big <clears throat> paradigm shift. So, sure was. Sure was. Yeah, that made a big difference. But once they got that and once the tension cooled down, because I think Greg called like timeout <laughs> because it was getting pretty tense right there. Because they thought they'd almost lost their jobs. Yeah, yeah. They thought they were going to lose their job. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. So once they understood that the pastor, and it was verified in scripture, he kept pounding on that verse, you know, you are here to equip. It says right there, you're to <laughs> equip the saints. That's your job. That's the pastor's job. That was a whole paradigm shift. And that just changed the whole atmosphere and changed everything in Romania. I think there's like oh, a hundred groups over in Romania now, and we can talk about the international later, but Here's my strategy that works for women. Okay. okay. So, so I happened to get in touch through the radio of all things on a Saturday, uh, listening to a Chinese uh, Christian church pastor mentioned that he was going to be doing Leadership Essentials, which is another book written by Greg Ogden. And they were going to be studying that. I thought, oh, well, I'm going to contact them. And so I went there and then, Within a year, I got to know people, and then I um, asked very slowly, you know, if there are any women who want to join me on a journey for an accelerated spiritual growth, let me know. And there were several that got in touch with me. And then I said, well, if you know other people who are interested, well, let's meet over at Panera Bread, which we did. And I gave them each a note card. 
And I said, okay, you know, um, this is intentional. It does take time. And I don't want you to think that this is just another program. This is a lifestyle change. So what I'd like for you to do is just go through with me, where does my time go? Okay, um, let's see. What's one of the things that you do in 24 hours? Oh, sleep, okay, so they wrote down sleep. About how many hours do you sleep? Okay, uh, what else do you do? And you know, just draw them out. Oh, well, I've got to cook and go shopping. And okay, everything that has to do with feeding your husband, your family, yourself, shopping, cooking, cleanup. Okay, write that down. And how many hours do you spend on that? Uh, okay, so they wrote that down. Okay, what else? So some of them had jobs, eight hours a day. Okay, write that down. What we found was that most of us, and I was doing this with them as well, of all the different things that are that you do during a day, uh, we came up with more than 24 hours in a day. <laughs> I said, you know, well, multiply that by seven, you'll get 168 hours in a week. Uh, where are you going to fit this in? If you're really serious about making disciples, which is what the Great Commission is, go and make disciples. And if that's really the calling on your life, where are you going to fit this in? What are you going to have to change? And I said, I don't want you to make a decision right now. I, I want you to go home, think about this, pray about this. This is serious. And that was in 2017. Well, since that time, it's just mushroom, mushroom. They continue on, and we meet monthly because we finished in uh, 2018, and I moved uh, to another state. And so we still keep in touch once a month to check in with each other. How's it going? How's your group going? That kind of thing. So it really started mushrooming there. And um, pass it back to you, Ralph, to identify Zambia and all the other <laughs> places that we are now. Well, let me jump on what you just said there, because I think that's an important point. When <clears throat> these things uh, just start multiplying, and they do, <clears throat> they they multiply throughout the church. We saw them multiply to other churches, and then we started uh, bringing missionaries in and, and training people and watching God just, just send this thing out around the world. Um, <clears throat> we are, we didn't necessarily anticipate i didn't anticipate this uh that mm. that it would go that way uh but it, but jesus did two thousand years ago i think when he said to his disciples go into all the world how many of them got to go into all the world probably very few actually went very far at all but he knew that it would one day uh be reaching the whole world now we're living in a time where technology allows us to do this and and you like i am you're on zoom with a, yeah. a group of zambian women every month i'm on a Zoom with a group of Zambian pastors, uh, Joel and I are, <clears throat> um, every month. And I have a group of African pastors from Burundi and Kenya and Uganda that I meet with, and two or three more from Pakistan and uh, <clears throat> a pastor in Myanmar. And, you know, there's no limit to how far we can go now because of the technology that God has given us to use. <clears throat> um but there's a, again, I want to jump back to a couple of specifics here because we, we talked about, you know, when do you meet? Well, we, we, we meet once a week. We, that's part of the, um, <clears throat> the way this thing works, works best. Now, I've seen groups that meet every other week, but uh, then if you miss a week because something comes up, you're, you only meet once a month. And so the meeting once a week, it seems to be the best way to maintain momentum. <clears throat> um, memorizing verses. Why do we memorize verses? Joel, tell me why we memorize verses. You did this in Navigators, and then we came here, and we didn't let you off. You had to keep memorizing. What happens? Well, uh, Navigators have the hand illustration, but um, uh, it even goes beyond memory. It goes into we meditate on what we what we know of Scripture, and. Um, it requires memorization so that we can med meditate on it day and night uh, to get the God, uh, the Word of God in us, and more than that, to apply it to daily living. So you get old as I am. You got to work on it every day, right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you can't. 
can't just do it before you come to the group. Now, right. I remember Pack, um, Packham, Scott Packham, I did it. He could he could walk in and 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 we could tell him what verse it was, and he could quote it back to us because his <laughs> But for me, it takes a whole week to get ready to you know quote that verse to my group, uh, and that's good for me. To let God's word ruminate in my heart all week long like that, that's transformative. And we're talking about transformation, not just information. And that that the memory, verse memory is a critical component of that. And it's not terribly hard to do once we find out we can do it again. You know, you start putting your mind to it, you can memorize those verses and, and it does work. Um, <clears throat> so we meet once a week and you can meet where? Where can you meet, Jim? Well, um, I've had groups that uh, meet at the church. I've had groups that meet in restaurants. Um, this last year, I've had two groups meet in our parking lot of our church. And uh, it's it, uh, really um, can meet in many, many places. You just need to have um, a place that doesn't have too many distractions and uh, is somewhat private because of the nature of your discussion. Yeah, yeah. So you can, there are all kinds of places you can meet. And um, another thing that's a serendipity, and you, Bev kind of <clears throat> went to this when she said, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, mother. <clears throat> when you talked about the pastors and they're losing their job, <laughs> I didn't expect this to lighten my load. But as a senior pastor, it did. It lightened my load. I remember well going to the hospital to visit the chairman of our board of elders who had had a heart event and he's in the emergency and I go in to, to, to see him and they won't let me in. I, but I miss pastor. I need to, I need to, I need to see him. They said, no, he left a list of the men that are able to come and see him. And it were the men in his quad. They could go see him. I couldn't go see him. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I walked away a little miffed about that, but then I realized, wait a minute, this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, amen. Uh, this is exactly what's supposed to happen. And my load got lighter because of the ministry that began to take place in the lives of the people and through the lives of the people that were involved in these groups. Some other serendipities that came up, you know, um, I, we won't have time to mention them all, but I, I remember when we were at a staff retreat, uh, uh, Jim, when we were looking at what had happened in the past year and where we're going to go in the next year. It's our, it was our annual January retreat. And we started talking about where do we get the volunteers for new ministries from? And we looked back and we saw that the, the people who were volunteering for ministry were people from our groups. Yes. They, were, they were people who, would, who, who didn't have time to carve it out of their schedule. You know, when we first asked them to be in a group and now they're leading two groups and volunteering for other stuff. <laughs> they could, Wait a minute. What's happened to this guy? He's just gotten on fire. Uh, often uh, quads would serve together. They would choose to do a ministry together. Yes. Yes. Uh, you had you have one that still does that. Did you go to Friathon this year? Uh, yes. And um, you're right. I bring uh, people from my quad to, to Friathon. I put them to work up there. As a big uh, youth I, event where all the youth go for a day, a year, uh, excuse me, a week of skiing and water, you know, uh, in the water on the lake, and and you, you, your quad ministers by going and in doing the cooking and different things at these events. Yes, in fact, I'm I'm uh, just just started my fifth quad a couple months ago, and uh, people from my first four quads are now on my invite list to go and and um, I'm never short of people to serve in the kitchen. So one of the things that we found was a serendipity, not expected, not planned, is that our volunteerism at the church increased in enormously. People volunteering for things and willing to volunteer for things. Leadership, uh, people who are stepping into leadership because they, they, they never had a leadership role at the church and suddenly they're in a quad and you're passing the leadership of the quad onto him. You're saying, okay, next week, Frank, you're going to lead the discussion. Next week, Joel, you lead the discussion. So they're beginning to experience leadership and they begin to step into leadership roles. Um, evangelism. That was one of the things that surprised me because I, I'm often asked when we go and we teach about disciple making, uh, somebody sticks up their hand and says, well, wait a minute, what does that do to your evangelism? You're all this emphasis on discipleship. 
And I said, the best evangelists we have in our church are the people in our quads. They've got something they're excited to talk about. The reason evangelism is so difficult for most people because nothing's happening in their life they need that they <laughs> they can share about. Nothing's really changing. You know, how do you how do you tell people, you know, tell people the gospel really works when you're not seeing it work in your life? Uh, but once they begin to see it, they become the natural evangelists. You don't have to have an evangelistic program to put them in. They, they share with people at work. They share with people at school. They share with people wherever they go because something authentic is happening in their lives. Um, Jim, you were on staff. <clears throat> and, of course, Joel, you and Frank would know this, too, because you're on the elder board. Well, what happened to our giving that year or in those years? So for, for um, uh, the Discipleship Essentials has uh, 25 chapters. A bonus chapter is number 25, and it is about giving, stewardship. And um, our, uh, our giving went, really took a leap forward. Uh, it was, you know, I, I don't want to say that, you know, I'm always amazed at what God does, but I was amazed at what God did then. <laughs> you remember when we got up and I, I said to the to this to the congregation, we've invited all these pastors to come in and we're and we're gonna pay for their their airplanes. We're gonna pay for their plane tickets and, and uh, we're gonna feed them our food, we're gonna have them sleep in our homes. Uh and we asked the con the congregation for the money to be able to do that. Joel, you were you were a part of that. What what happened? Do you remember what happened? <laughs> yeah, I remember <clears throat> the response was amazing, but also were the expenses. We <laughs> we said, hey, we're buying all these tickets and the price is going up and the people gave more than what we needed to pull off the debt. Well, I, the, the number that sticks in my head is near $100,000. But for that for that summit where we invited the 50, 53 or 54, second one, right. summit for the 53 or 54 that came in, I think we estimated the cost was going to be about $80,000. And when they gave $80,000, they continued to give, and they gave $112,000 or something like yes, that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So it was, yeah, it was amazing. And then our administrative pastor, Kenny Kibble, says, hey, Ralph, I think we could pay off our building. <laughs> <laughs> and we we decided, okay, we challenged our people to before the first of the year, let's pay off our building. And we paid off our multi-million dollar building uh in, before the year was over. I mean, this was not planned. This was not something we necessarily expected. But when people's hearts get right with God and the Holy Spirit is at work, uh, it's amazing what happens in our 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 financial picture just, I mean, we paid off our building. <laughs> it was crazy. And we we had years to go on that mortgage. Um, but we were able to do that because God's people just got excited about what God was doing. Amen. Well, there are, this thing has continued to expand as, as Bev has indicated where we, we went, we're in Nepal now with, let me just go back and back up and share at that global summit Greg Ogden says, you and I need to get together about what we're going to do in the future. And I kind of smiled at him because I was 70 years old that, that year, that summer. I had turned 70 and I was going to retire. And I had already told the Board of Elders that I was going to retire. I was going to tell the congregation, too, that I was going to retire. But I wasn't going to tell Greg Ogden until I told my congregation. So I didn't say anything to him about it until later. And then I said, OK, Greg, I'm retiring now. I've announced it to the church. What are we going to do? And we came up with this idea of global discipleship initiative. Let's start. Let's start a new 501c3. Let's start a new uh, <clears throat> organization dedicated to launching discipleship initiatives in every country in the world. Um, and so that's what we've that's what we've set out to do. We have work now in Nepal. We have work in Ukraine. We have work in Romania. We have work in Taiwan. We have work in various parts of the world. And we've, I think, at our last board meeting, we came up with almost fifty countries where we've got some kind of contact, some kind of somebody's using the material. Somebody's, uh, and it's of course languages now. We're in twenty three languages, and we've got more languages in process as we speak. Uh, it's being translated, and we we never we never set out to do any of this. You know, when Bev and 
Jim and Daryl and I sat in my office, we were going to start a discipleship ministry in our own congregation and hoped it would work there. <laughs> and, it's, and it's called an experiment because we didn't know whether it would or not. And we've seen God just multiply this thing uh, globally. And it's so exciting to be a part of. Let me just close by saying that we have several ways that listeners can contact us or find out more. First, they can go to our website. Uh, Bev, you want to say a word about that? Globaldi.org. That's G-L-O-B-A-L-D-I.org. And there you can find all about us, links to the books that Greg has written, um, quite a few videos, a link to a blog, a link to YouTube videos. And we've also got what's called now a cohort, which is training pastors and working through to um, make disciples who make disciples on a very uh, high level where they have a great influence. So now Frank is Frank is partnered with me on one of our cohorts, uh, our domestic cohort. That's one in the United States. We have two pastors from Florida and two pastors from uh, Texas. Frank, comment on that, would you? <clears throat> that's, a, that's like another quad. I, I love our rich discussions once a month with those guys. And I'm watching their responses to the questions that they're given. And I just watch them grow uh, weekly. Every time I, I read into it, I, I've seen these guys now for the last few months, even pastors growing like that is is really neat to see. But uh, I, I'm, I'm just blown away at, uh, to see the growth there also with us. And it's just fun to team up with you and use Zoom. Here we thought we'd be, you know, challenged by by these problems with COVID. God's opened this door so that we can do this just like what we're doing now. So uh, one door closes, God always has a way of opening another door. Yeah. Here you are, Frank. You're a, a layman and you're training pastors. Did you ever think that would be a reality? No. <laughs> that would never happen. One, well, I haven't spent one class in seminary, but <laughs> working with you and learning this and, and just, you know, digging in. Uh, you're right. It's this is. I think you said it's like a seminary, one-year seminary, uh, being involved in this. Yeah. And you know, I've noticed over the years through different lives that that I've been a part of, that we've all grown roots. We've all been able to weather storms that life throws at us. We've been able to get more involved in church activities and whatever levels they are, because, you know, we're we're just like Bev said. You know, there's there's a paradigm shift that happens. Uh, that you realize you can do more. And, you know, we can't just sit on the sidelines. We got to get in the game. And that's just not, we can't rely on staff to always do that. And I think that's the challenge that people like myself see and are excited about. Jim, tell them about uh, the, what we're doing in Nashville in, next month. So the um, National Disciple Making Forum is in Nashville. I think we're on year eight or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure how many years have been doing that, but we've, we're participating. We have in the past, and we're participating this year. It's uh, November uh, 7th and 8th, I believe it is. And oh, tell me what it is, Bev. 4th and 5th. <laughs> oh, I come back on the 6th. That's a Saturday. That's right. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, we're going to be there, and we're going to share some of our experiences, some of the teaching. Dr. Greg will be there, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So there's a training event, and we have training events regularly, and they're on our website, listed on our website. Uh, we do consultations with pastors. Uh, uh, Dr. Greg and I were on uh, Zoom with John Jackson, who is the president of uh, William Jessup University in Sacramento, California, and he wants to do this on his university campus, and so we're cons consulting with him. Uh, we consult with pastors regularly who want to get these kinds of things started. I have a, uh, a group where I have a pastor from India, a pastor from the UK, and a pastor from Switzerland. Uh, and, a, and a professor from Palmer Seminary in, in uh, Philadelphia that we're, it's a regular consultation that we do on a monthly basis with these guys because they're launching it in their churches and they want to know how to do this. And so we, we get together every month and talk about uh, how you do that. So there are consultations, there are 
uh, micro groups of pastors that we have, uh, as well as the cohorts that we use to train people how to do this. Uh, our objective is just to multiply multipliers uh, anywhere and everywhere, every way we can. And if there are those of you listening that want to be a part of this in some way, uh, you can contact us at our website. You, we'll be glad to talk to you. I'm next week. I'm going to be on Zoom with the elder board of a church in Southern Florida, uh, talking to them about how they can institute this in their church. So we'll help any way we can. Um, the folks on your screen that you see are very willing to help anyway. I'll, I'll give you permission to call them anytime, night or day, and they'll be glad to take your call and, and talk with you about disciple making because we're so excited about what God is doing through it. We're glad that you came today and, and are enjoying, I hope you enjoyed this time and maybe learn something from it that will be applicable in your ministry situation. Guys, uh, my compatriots here, thank you for being a part of this. Matt, thank you for helping us put this thing together. Uh, and we'll see you in Nashville. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if this is your first time ever listening, I just want to say, please, please, please check out the forum that's coming up tomorrow, November 4th and 5th. It's going to be a great time. I'd love to see you there, especially if you live in the Nashville area so that you can come on over to Brentwood Baptist and worship with us and be with us as we learn more about how to make more disciples and live out Jesus' commission to us, which is therefore go and make disciples of all nations. I hope that you join us. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode and I'll see y'all next week on the next one. Have a great day. Bye.